Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Chris Graham joined by Rod Mullins here on this Monday. We always talk NASCAR after the big weekend of racing. And this weekend it was in Phoenix and very similar to last week, Rod, with um, an overtime finish. Uh, pretty much it's similar cast of characters, if not the same cast of characters, and a, a rather similar finish. Take us into what happened. Well, uh, you can't say enough. Uh, William Byron picked up his second win in a row. He picked up a you know a big finish for Hendrick Motorsports. But the thing is, he uh, I guess the way that the the race ended and so forth, uh, Kyle Larson wasn't too happy about it because it was one of those restarts he wished he could have just you know gone back and redone again because you know he was in that situation again like he was last week and you know i think i called it i was sitting here uh, last week and i was uh, talking to you about it and i think you asked me who might be a potential at winning this race and one of the first names that jumped out at me was kevin harvick and kevin harvick had a chance right there uh before it was over with kevin harvick was in the thick of things but then uh what i think two laps to go maybe three laps to go there in that overtime period he got squeezed out he couldn't go and he couldn't go any further and so he got pretty much hung out to dry and so it ended up it was a william byron finish with kyle larson in there but kyle larson was not happy with the result he said you know quote uh to kind of end all quotes he said yeah i'm pretty pissed off that's what he said after the whole thing was over with but you know this was probably a Good thing, considering what Hendrick Motorsports is under right now. Uh, a lot of people didn't know about this, uh, heard about it on uh, Saturday, I think it was Saturday or early Sunday, uh, that NASCAR uh, confiscated the radiator flaps or the flaps that's on top of the hood for the uh, for the car. They didn't do just only Hendrick Motorsports, but they also did uh, Colleague Racing. And they've got them. And Hendrick right now, according to a lot of people, Hendrick Motorsports is kind of shaking right now, wondering what's going to be wrong or what are they going to call them on and stuff in regard to the parts. So, you know, this victory will might be an empty one if they still hold up and they say, okay, William Byron, you're still the winner out of this, which I'm, I'm sure they're not going to take it away from him at this point. But uh, Hendrick Motorsports could get, if they were using something that was illegal, according to NASCAR, they could be penalized heavily out of it. Yeah, some uh, intrigue there, uh, no doubt. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, what I've seen is that, uh, yeah, penalties could be announced this week. Other cars um, as well, like you said, were, were looked at. Um, you know, one other thing that was interesting about this race, I mean, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff, it was it was warm on Sunday, um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't warm when the, the teams were out there in practice on Friday and then qualifying on Saturday. So, that throws a wild card into the preparations and you prep for what you, you know, what you've d done on the track and the weather you're in. And then all of a sudden it's 80 degrees. Right. That, that's tough for those, for those teams. Yeah, it is tough for those teams. And then uh, you know, they were also testing a new short track aero package uh, this week too. They were checking it out to see if it was going to work. Uh, a lot of the teams were hoping it would uh, provide them with a little bit more downforce. And I think a lot of them came away satisfied that it did. But, uh, you know, at the same time, like you said, you know, you start prepping. It was cool on Friday. They start and they have testing. They have a little bit of some runarounds the track. And then they also qualify. And then the temperature changes dramatically. Sort of like what happened at the NHRA uh, Nationals, uh, the Emily Oil Nationals down in Gainesville this past weekend. The temperature, they'd had rain, temperature changed. 
And then these tires were just not gripping the way that they should have been because when they're, when the track's hot, it provides a little bit of uh, more loose kind of driving is what it does. And that's what it did on, on uh, Sunday at Phoenix. Uh, Eric Almarola, I know he had had bad luck. I know that uh, you had a couple other drivers uh, slam the wall. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger was another one that slammed the wall. Uh, you know, some of these cautions, you know, the way it worked out, it was just – you know, trying to adjust and keep that car going, at least if it was getting tight or getting loose, they hoped to tighten it back up, give it a little bit more downforce. But then as the car went on, they would go and probably it would loosen up a little bit more. They'd have to tighten it back up again to keep it that way, or at least come to a happy medium somewhere in between. You, you were talking about Kevin Harvick. Uh, he, he had to lead late. I uh, took the lead with 44 laps to go. Um, but then it was a strategy uh, thing that uh, changed the race, at least for from as far as he was concerned. A yellow flag you mentioned, I think it was 10 laps to go. And um, most of the drivers, uh, when they went to the pits, got two tires. His team decided right. to go for four tires. And that little change there was what pushed Harvick back in the pack and, and kept him from being competitive at the end. Well, you know, he said that's what he would have done. In that kind of situation, he would have gone for the four tires and Rodney Childers called for the four tires. He, he said that and he said, you know, he'd rather be on offense rather than being on the defensive side of it. He just didn't get a couple of cars that when that first caution came out, it kind of uh, lost their chance to, you know, to even contend for the uh, for the win in that race. He still thought that they had a good chance to maybe wrap this race up there toward the end of it. But the cars. Uh, they kind of held him up a little bit more. They kind of held him up and then they all got jammed up. But, you know, uh, he finished his 20th straight top 10 at Phoenix, which is a cup series record for a single track. You know, he's, he may not have won the race, but at least he's going out a winner in that, uh, in this early race uh, at Phoenix, he's hoping to just be there in the fall come championship time. That's right. That's right. Hey, you, you, we talked about the, the, the winner uh, Byron with his second straight win uh, Ryan Blaney in second, Tyler Reddick in third. Talk about the the days they had. Well, Ryan Blaney had a good day. Uh, you know, Ross Chastain was in there as well. Kyle Busch was running there. They opted for two tires out of this whole thing, Denny Hamlin. But, you know, you really can't say enough about the rebound. And I think I was talking about this last week. I had not been impressed with Tyler Reddick. And Tyler Reddick goes and rebounds this time around. And, you know, he ends up getting, a, you know, a top 10. I think it's a top 10 finish is what he ended up getting uh, third place run out of this top five finish for him at Phoenix. And, you know, Chase Briscoe in the Ford, uh, Stuart Haas Ford, he uh, he finished in seventh. But the big one I was really talking about last week was Tyler Reddick. He needed a good race to turn things around. And this was it. Uh, you know, he's one of these Western uh, Western drivers. They love these little shootouts on these little tracks like this. And Phoenix is just configured just in the right way for them to be able to go. And they pulled off, a, I think they pulled off an exceptional finish on Sunday uh, compared to what, uh, you know, they had already in the first two or three races of the season. Josh Berry filling in for Chase Elliott, finishing the top 10. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously doing a great job down at the Xfinity level. Uh, two top fives, three top tens and four starts, but uh you know, nice, nice running around the track for him on Sunday. Yeah, if they get to Atlanta, he may even get a top five finish. And, you know, he may even win the thing. Who knows how this thing <laughs> will go. But he's quick to adapt. And that's one thing Dale Earnhardt Jr. has talked about so much 
with his driver, Josh Berry. He says, you know, give this boy a chance, and he's going to go places in the sport. And, of course, he's given him a chance on the uh, Xfinity side, and he's already proven some things for him there. But here we are in the Cup Series, and I'm sure he got elevated to the Cup Series a little bit faster than what he anticipated. And, you know, we've all been kind of waiting, is Junior Motorsports going to come out, and are they going to decide to run a Cup Series uh, you know, race or at least run Cup Series in the next couple of years? This year, a lot of people were expecting them to make the announcement and say that they were doing so. We've got to wait probably about another year or two to see where they're going to go. Josh Berry, in the meantime, is getting his chance at, at wetting his chops at this first time of running a Cup Series or at least running this Cup Series uh, car now for Hendrick Motorsports. I think it's great experience for him. I think he's going to come away maybe another top 10 finish this coming week because, uh, you know, that car – Always, when they bring that car, that especially Chase Elliott's car to Atlanta, he always does well. But you know, you got a different driver this time around, so we'll have to wait and see what happens, uh, what the outcome is. But yeah, he's definitely turned some heads already in his second race, and he's still got what four or five more weeks to go. Um, minus one of those, he won't be driving at Circuit of the Americas but he'll still be driving at Atlanta and a couple of the other tracks. And then they've got another driver coming in at the circuit of the Americas, a road course driver that'll be subbing in for him. But I'd like to see him in a chance at a road course and see what he could really do. I think he's just, a, I think he's an all around great driver. You mentioned Atlanta. That's where we're heading this weekend, Sunday at three o'clock Atlanta motor speedway. So uh, back on the East coast, at least for the week, heading back out to Texas, then coming back East uh, for, for Richmond in April. Um, what uh, what do we look for uh, with the Atlanta race? Well, we will probably see a lot of close racing at Atlanta. You know, they put the new surface down, and last year was the first time that a lot of people got to, I guess, experience the new Atlanta, so to speak. And it really, uh, the drivers really loved the new setup and the new banking, the new pavement. They loved all of that stuff. You had some, uh, you had some drivers that were contenders there toward the end of the race uh, last year in Atlanta. And, you know, Chase Elliott was one of those. He, you figure him to go and go down there. But like I said, Josh Berry is going to be in his place. Um, I would probably put in this case, looking at Atlanta, Kyle Busch, maybe. Uh, coming away with something. You know, he's already got one win on the season. Uh, he liked Atlanta a whole lot here when they made the changes to it because Atlanta was so, previously, as, as it was stated, they were so worn out. The track was just worn out in places, patched in places, and now they've got this new pavement all the way around. They've had it for about a year. It's seasoned. It's cured. So now we'll see what kind of racing actually hits the track down at Atlanta this coming weekend. And it could be a it could be another side-by-side uh, -side racing, uh, racing test for a lot of these teams. But, you know, I really wouldn't rule out Kevin Harvick at this point either. You know, Kevin Harvick uh, won his first NASCAR Cup race. And he won it in a Hendrick, or not a Hendrick, but rather in a uh, Richard Childress car. And that was right after Dale Earnhardt had passed away back at Daytona. And he was named as the ride, uh, the guy to pick the ride and, and drive in that car. So Kevin Harvick likes Atlanta. I think Atlanta's been good to him. So we'll see how he does this week. Uh, only question is now, where are we going to see some of the Toyotas again? Some of the Toyotas are, are again, being.
being quiet again. We've not heard some things out of them except for Tyler Reddick this past weekend. So uh, what kind of track is it going to be? It's, it remains to be seen. Is it going to be a Ford or Chevy-dominated track this time around, or is it going to be a Toyota-dominated track? We'll have to wait and see to Sunday. Now, this is a NASCAR podcast, but it's also the opening week of March Madness. Uh, Rod, have you looked at brackets yet? You got any thoughts on how things are going to go? Oh, well, yeah. I'm just, you know, right now, um, you know, I looked at that one bracket that Virginia's in. And of course, they're playing an early game. But, you know, some of these, oh, man, some of these guys I was a little bit shocked with uh, getting into this dance and so forth. And some that got ignored out of it. Um, I think you'd even put an article up there, too, about uh, Clemson. Yeah. That Clemson yeah. was one of these teams. And I kept on expecting, you know, something about them going to be in there and stuff. I thought they had a decent season, but it didn't turn out that way. And then uh, they're already predicting, uh, I think, in a couple of calls, uh, Tennessee's going to go out early. They predict Tennessee will go out early because they've got the loss of that big man that they had uh, about, uh, I'd say, half, about halfway through or three-quarters of the way through the season. Uh, Tennessee could lose in the first round. Um, I don't know about Virginia. I, it's just what team shows up. I am, um, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of hesitant because you know, at one time I see a team that goes and can barely get by somebody they should beat handily by twenty, and then I see a game like against Clemson the other night, and they handed them what by twenty points at least by about twenty. So I was a little bit shocked at that, and then I was shocked at the Duke game. Because I thought, okay, these guys are going to play a lot more tighter than they did. They did play a tight game, but it seemed like Virginia just could not get their their shooting game, their offensive thing, you know, going in motion. I think to kind of contend with Duke that entire time around, and so it remains to be seen what's going to happen. I guess this this coming March Madness. I think a lot of teams are in a similar boat that they could either lose the first game or go to the Final Four. I think that's this. This year, I don't know that there's a dominant team this year. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I really don't think so. You know, and everybody's talking about, okay, well, this is the perfect time for Gonzaga. Gonzaga, you know, they may have come into this thing. This is their 23rd, I think, 64-team uh, field, what they've made it to March Madness. But, you know, they always either get to either the Sweet 16 or they get down to the Elite Eight. Uh, sometimes even get to the final four and they've been stumped. They've never gotten over that hump to be able to win. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's wide open. Like you said, uh, I was surprised by the mention of teams that came out of nowhere that I really wasn't expecting. Drake is one of them. They're talking about Drake is one of those teams and Kentucky could have some trouble, major league trouble with Providence because, one of Kentucky's players transferred to Providence, and now he's starting at Providence, and they're led by a former Kentucky player. And then here, you know, he played basketball with these guys that's on the team. Um, it's it's anybody's guess right now, I think, at this point. I, I'm just really surprised at, uh, at the number of teams and a uh, lot of chances for a lot of these teams to really knock some people off early on, and we could see how far some of these – I call them mid-majors, may go before it's over with. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm just, I get to go to Orlando. It's warm there. It's cold here in Virginia. So, I mean, I, we drove back yesterday from Greensboro. It was snowing the whole way. Oh, my uh, God. I'm heading to Orlando on Wednesday. It's 80 degrees there when I get there. So, I won't know what to do as far as that goes. Then there's basketball. 
hey, I'm hoping Virginia, you know, if they get through the first two rounds, which there's, you know, you got to win the games. Yeah. But if they get through the first two rounds, uh, they may have a date with Alabama in the Sweet 16 in Louisville. So, yeah. uh, you know, you start looking down the line at potential matchups, there's, there could be some fun ones if, uh, if things hold. That, that could be interesting. Yeah, no doubt about that. There could be some fun ones. And, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, somebody will probably ask me, I'm I'm on break this week, and somebody will probably ask me tomorrow when I go back to school, hey, you going to do the March Madness bracket thing and stuff? And I'm going to say no. <laughs> I gave that up a long time ago because I, I did too. <laughs> you know, I, the bracket busters, you know, I look at those and some people say, oh, you know, I'm going to go with, you know, this team and so forth. But I think it was at least five or six years ago, I did a, I did one and I had some bracket busters out of it and the bracket busters busted me before it was over with because yeah. they didn't end up winning in the first round like they were supposed to. And then uh, they ended up doing more damage in the second round, I think, than they did in the first round. And uh, wow, I've just, you know, there's some of them that just, you know, some of them I still kind of scratch my head. It's, it's, it's like it's for everybody now. It's not, it's not just for your big conferences like your big 10, but it gives even the little guy that chance to be able to breathe. Furman, for example, Furman is going to their first, what, in 40-some years, I think it's what they're going to their first March Madness, and uh, it's just unreal. Some of these teams you wouldn't think could play out of their region, but, buddy, when it comes down to March, they play above their heads, and some of them do really well when it comes down to it. As far as the brackets go, I, it's going to sound funny when I say it. It's going to sound like I'm coming off like a real smart guy, but – uh I, I, I'll cover basketball for a part part of my living, and I, I know so much about basketball. The more you know, the more you realize that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You can, can make tell those you, calls. Yeah, I can tell you what happened, uh, but telling you what's going to happen is really hard. And I'm smart enough to know that I'm just don't even try <laughs> to tell you. Well, what's and going I mean, and you could look back at this one too, and you could probably say the same thing. Did you expect a UMBC to go one up in Virginia like it did here several years ago? Oh, certainly not. And that's the no. one that makes every game now uh, on on the schedule from the one versus 16 all the way down. Every game now you have to say, hey, anybody can win that game. Anybody could do it. And that's, that's where it's kind of – I still get jittery when the announcement is made who Virginia is going to be up against. And then uh, this time around, who are they up against in the first round? Playing at twelve forty on Furman, the Furman team you mentioned, the SoCon champs. Okay, and Furman scares me because Furman, uh, you know, in the Southern Conference, they they quietly did their job. Everybody else was worrying about you know the UT Chattanoogas and you know the Western Carolinas and you know uh, I think Mercer was thrown into there as well and stuff. But then here they come out of nowhere, they win this thing. And, I mean, they they sound like they're a solid team up and down. And I know they're jumping for joy. They were jumping for joy yesterday during the selection uh, selection broadcast. And a lot of these teams were. The only thing I've, I've got to give you credit on, and I have to say this, I, I don't think I could have done it, but Clark Kellogg butchered Texas Christian University yesterday and their mascot. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't hear about that, no. You know, everybody knows Texas Christian as the Horn Frogs. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he called them the Frog Horns, <laughs> and I missed and that I, completely. <laughs> and they, they they were like, I, I saw this on uh, I think an announcing, awful announcing or something. Yeah, yeah. It's on there, and they put it on there, and they said, you know, Clark Kellogg definitely not going to get any uh, any uh, positive marks for his recognizing Texas Christian as the Frog Horns. Yeah, was he? Is he, he thinking about the Bugs Bunny cartoon, the Foghorn Leghorn? Maybe. 
yeah uh, from way back in the day uh <laughs> well and then the other one the other one too that they were talking about that um uh, Greg Gumble, Bryant Gumble's brother, mm-hmm. made mention of was the guy that with Alabama and the supposed, you know, the end. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, the thing about the murder thing and yeah. so forth, and he still played. Uh, but then it was quickly kind of. Yo, know, very. I did hear that part. Yes. yes. Yeah, they quickly. It was like let's go on to something else <laughs> with it. So, but they they yeah. they got through that as quickly as they could. Indeed, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. why I want. I, I would love to see. I mean. You know, I want to see Virginia get all the way as they as far as they can anyway. But you know, given that Alabama's in the bracket, I'd kind of like to see Virginia play Alabama for. I mean, that reason. Uh, I I think the there's a lot of people who want to see Alabama knocked out as early as possible. Maybe maybe they won't even get to Sweet 16. Who yeah. knows? But um, and also just you know the style matchup. Like Alabama's a running gun team, and running gun teams can have a hard time against a team like Virginia that slows you down. Well, we're hearing we're hearing things back this way and stuff of. A potential what's well, a team that made the the big dance and stuff Houston and UVA played Houston this past year. Uh, we're hearing some rumors down this way and stuff at East Tennessee State University is looking at an assistant on Houston's basketball team, and he's had some close ties with um, I guess the AD that's at East Tennessee State right now. Of course, they fired their their coach this past week, Desmond Oliver. And he had produced two lackluster seasons, actually depressing seasons as far as I was concerned, uh, from a team that at one point in the early 90s, I can remember back 31 or 32 years ago, rushing back home to see where East Tennessee State was going to fall in the bracket and where they were going to play at. And then later on, I think another year after that or a couple of years after that, they beat Arizona and Lute Olson in the first round. And people were just – shocked out of that completely that you know little east tennessee state beat this team and you know they've not had some they've not had some good years uh here in quite a while so they're looking at uh, one of the assistants i'm trying to remember the coach at houston i think it's his son Kel- my, kelvin my, sampson is the head coach there yeah so i think it's i think it's his son is who they're looking at at possibly giving him a chance at east tennessee state but that's still all up in the air right now i'm sure that uh down this way, they'll be making their trip to either the uh, the tournament or you know the final part of the tournament when it's going to be played. And uh, the AD there is going to be looking for you know head coaching candidates or at least potential for head coaching candidates. Oh yeah, the, all the ADs in college basketball head to the Final Four. That's that's a that's a job market as much as it is a a, ba- a couple basketball games. <laughs> yep. Well, and Chris Beard, we heard that I heard today. Chris Beard's the new. Head coach now at uh, at uh, Ole Miss, which yep. kind of took me by surprise with that one. I really wasn't expecting it, but uh, you know this is the same Chris Beard, I guess, that was coaching when uh, Texas Tech and uh, UVA yep. was playing, wasn't yep. it? Yep, yeah. he is, and, and you know, a quick rehabilitation. He was fired uh, f- after the allegations about uh, domestic assault back in I think it was January. He was fired. I think the domestic assault report was in December. And I thought he'd have to spend a couple of years at a mid-major rehabilitating his reputation and, you know, winning some games. And mm-hmm. he skipped that part. He just went to Ole Miss in the SEC. So he, good for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it is. And and then I think that wasn't the charges dropped eventually. Yeah, the fiance decided not to press. And then the prosecutor said, hey, without her testimony, I can't really do anything. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that Texas was wrong necessarily to fire him. Just yeah. that, uh, you know, I guess if he's not charged and, you know, not facing anything, it's it's also hard to keep him from being employed 
you know, another job that uh, was already filled too, Georgia Tech, which last week fired their coach, Josh Pastner, hired Damon Stoudemire, the former uh, Portland Trailblazers guard, played at Arizona back in the day. Uh, one year, Arizona beat Virginia in the tournament uh, back in the late 80s, beat a Terry Holland team in the tournament. Uh, Stoudemire, um, so that's, you know, that's an interesting hire. They they went pretty quick. They didn't wait till the meat market at the Final Four. They went ahead and got Stoudemire. He had been at Pacific as a college coach, head coach. And then I think most recently he was back in the NBA. He was back in Boston with, with the Boston Celtics mm-hmm. this year. Um, and so still a couple of ACC jobs open. Syri- well, actually, Syracuse filled their job, didn't they? Uh, Notre Dame has a job open. Right. Uh, a couple of high-profile jobs, Georgetown and, and St. John's are open. So, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the coaching the coaching carousel. Uh, this this is that time of year. Yeah, the uh, and that one one of those uh, teams too that we were talking about uh, that you mentioned right there. We were talking about. I think uh, the um, Samson kid that's the assistant, uh, the son. I think he's up for possibly a job at St. John's. I think they're looking at him at St. John's. They're looking at that. But I, I had something I was thinking about just then. That just, oh, I know what it was. Yeah, Jerry Stackhouse. That's probably the reason why they got Stoudemire so quick and stuff is because Jerry Stackhouse has done such a great job at Vanderbilt. He pulled off what a lot of people thought was going to be just impossible to do. And he's pulled that off. And then at the same time, who are we talking about? We're talking about uh, what's his name? Hardaway. Hardaway's at Memphis. Yeah. At Memphis. And he pulls off a six final 64 or a 64 team field. Uh, bid and I'm just like wow I can't believe that but well, one of these young NBA guys are doing pretty well aren't they yeah, yeah. That, it really shows that but one other thing I was uh, I was surprised about but then again I wasn't and it'd be the final thing I'll mention about basketball I'm glad that coach Mox decided not to accept the invitation to go to the NIT or that women's basketball part of the NIT because yeah. she knew well um they're depleted right now. I mean, they played their heart out and stuff all season and they just weren't ready. And I think she thinks she did a heck of a job by making that call. And I think it was a great thing on her to make the women's NIT, uh, yeah, especially yeah. to make that in her first year. Yeah. They only won five games last year under Tina Thompson and won 15 and uh, this year under, under coach Mox and could have won a lot more. You mentioned the injuries. They played their last couple of games with six healthy players. Yeah. Um, that is, and they want they beat a uh, one of the teams. Uh, I can't. I think it was maybe NC State. They beat with six players. NC, a NC State, team. yeah, so, NC State. Yeah, they. Uh, so yeah, credit to her, and and yeah, it, it's it's an honor just to got to have gotten the invitation. But there's no way they could play with six players. That's that's just asking a lot. So it would I was going to ask you one more thing about basketball before I let okay. you go because it, it's it's sort of down your neck of the woods. So we mentioned two open jobs, Georgetown and St. John's. Uh, both schools are reportedly interested in a guy named Rick Patino. Oh, 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 I thought uh, I'd get that reaction out of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of that same way. I don't know. Rick Pitino <laughs> is like kryptonite to Superman. I mean, that's I, I don't know why. Why when I hear that name, it scares me. It really does scare me. And uh, you, you go across the state line, you go into Kentucky. Patino's name is Mud. They hate him. They would rather he. They would rather, honestly, if they could go and they could put it together, they would be happy if Virginia got him in the Department of Corrections coaching a Red Onion basketball team. That's what they would be wanting more than anything. They hate him so bad in Kentucky. And, you know, of course, they hate Louisville, but they they didn't have to worry about much about Louisville this year. But 
Rick Pitino again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just like he's, he's seventy years old and he's up for these two jobs. I can't, I, I, I can't fathom it myself. But yeah, you know? St. John's is the one I know that he's under. Uh, he was under consideration for with that one. But yeah, oh my, you know, I have, I have dreams. I have dreams about Patino coaching again at a major level, and I start thinking. Oh my gosh! It's like watching a sequel to The Godfather or something. What's going to happen? They're going to be bringing in all of this stuff, and you, you get your uh, you get your uh, oh gosh, what your escorts or so to speak is what they had supposedly at uh, yeah. you know. And yeah. Tennessee even got in on the action when uh, they had uh, had their coach down there, and they had well Lane Kiffin had you know escorts supposedly. They go out and they meet the meet the guys at the football games and so forth, but. Patino scares me. I, I really wish somebody would just say, Rick, you know, it's okay. You know, you, you just go on, just coach at Iona, just be happy with yourself and just be glad that somebody still loves you there, you know, and stuff, because you're going to St. John's. If you go to that job, uh, you're in a rough spot. You're in a rough spot, especially in New York with St. John's because uh, very, very fickle crowds there too. So, uh, uh, yeah. Hey, what was his name that um, played for him at one time and stuff? He and he coached for him at one time. Uh, made it in the NBA. Chris, what's what's the guy's name? I'm thinking of. Uh, coached for him and played in the NBA. I'm trying. I, I'm I'm at a loss too. I'm like I'm trying to think of who it was. Chris, I, I'm wanting to say I'm, Chris is the first name that comes out. Okay, think of his last name, but. He found it hard. He found it. Chris Mullen. That's who it is. Oh, Chris, oh yeah, Chris Mullen at St. John's. Yeah, okay. Yeah, here I am forgetting my own namesake without the S on the end of it. And I mean, I'm you know here he is, and uh, lo and behold, he he goes up there, tries yeah. to coach a little while and stuff. It just he doesn't bring the the fire back whatsoever. So well, both those jobs, the St. John's and Georgetown, they hired legends, uh, Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing, and both flamed out. So. Well, I knew something was wrong at Georgetown when Mac McClung left. Yeah, I mean, that, that clearly told me that something was going on there. And, you know, you know, I just I just couldn't understand. He's he's got talent. Why couldn't they go and why couldn't they put away some of these games? And then when uh, McClung went to Texas Tech, well, we know, you know, what happened there and so forth. He stayed there for a little bit and then he went to the NBA, but you know. I kind of had the feeling about uh, Patrick Ewing that he wasn't exactly running a very tight ship or a very uh, well-run program at Georgetown. And when they said goodbye to him, I was kind of expecting that. I, if they were expecting John Thompson, the second coming out of Patrick Ewing, they were going to be sadly disappointed with it. You know, Mike Bray's also up for that job at Georgetown. At least he's been he's been reportedly yeah. linked to that job. Uh, I bring Mike Bray's name up because his last game in Notre Dame was the loss of Virginia Tech in the easy tournament last week. That was Tuesday. Uh, after the game, uh, Scott German, my colleague, uh, was hungry still. The uh, it was There were no more pizza places open in Greensboro after 12 o'clock. So Scott headed over to the Waffle House and ran into Mike Bray. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did he? He ran into Mike Bray at the Waffle House. Uh, Mike Bray was holding court at the Waffle House. Uh, he was the for 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 about an hour there. He was apparently the king of the Waffle House. So um, there's your real life guy right there. I don't I don't know that anybody could picture Mike Bray. Uh, you know, Catholic guy. That's why he's linked to the Georgetown job. You know, he, he, you yeah. know slick the slick suit, slick back hair, and everything else. He's at Waffle House just like the rest of us are sometimes. Well, uh, you know, that's like that's like uh, that's like my niece that lives in uh, lives in Charlottesville. She's in Harris Teeter one day, and she comes down the aisle, and there's Tony Bennett. 
She yeah, says, yeah. what do I say to Tony Bennett? You know, and she said, I know that my uncle is going to be kicking me right now because I didn't speak to Tony Bennett. And I'm like, hey, I didn't feel that way. I mean, look who came into Zenberger the night we were there. So oh, yeah. The whole, the whole basketball I, team, pretty much. The whole basketball night, yeah. team. And, and Salt got there. I think Jerome was even in there and stuff. Hey, and Huff, I believe, was there. You you, you feel yeah. certain guys when they walk up behind you. Uh. Yeah, and you want, it, and you, you want to get up and stuff. And you want to get up and say, hey, how you doing? Stuff like that. But they were busy with somebody else and it's just like just act like nothing's going on don't act like it's a big deal and stuff but now bray in a waffle house yeah oh that is that is something to you know there should be a story there that scott should come up with about, about the waffle house and mike bray and stuff because a waffle house is a southern institution there's no doubt about it here he is and he's going to that and he's going in there of course i mean hey He's going to be treated like royalty if he goes into Waffle House, especially like that. I mean, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did the same thing after he won the race. He won Daytona. He went into the Waffle House, took his trophy in and everything into the Waffle House. So the Waffle House must be the happening place. It must be. They, they ought to use that in their advertising. Uh, it's where people yeah. go after they win. Or in case Mike Bray's case, he was just celebrating his the end of his career at Notre Dame. But uh, I don't know how many Waffle Houses are up there in D.C. if he gets a Georgetown job, but we'll, he might find out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we've got several down here and, and, you know, and a lot of them are a lot of them. I think the majority of what we have are huddle houses down here is what we've got. But uh-huh. you move out a little bit further and uh, out of from where we're at. And then you've got Waffle Houses and Waffle Houses. I hate to say it. They have a bad reputation for a lot of things happening either in the parking lot or inside there. Uh, you know, somebody doesn't come to work. Somebody throws a dish at somebody because, you know, Hey, I'm trying to cook back here. And, you know, these people are going to have to wait and stuff. I mean, it happened to us at a huddle house in pigeon forge. I mean, scary experience. And this is like 11 o'clock at night and you think, Oh, shouldn't be that much of a crowd, but I guess they dropped everything for Mike Bray and they just did everything for him. And everybody else was just kind of like dumbstruck and looking, Hey, Notre Dame basketball coach, he's here. Uh, I, I've been in plenty of Waffle Houses after midnight, and they're never not busy after midnight. I don't know. I know. They're I mean, never not busy. I don't know how that is, but they're never not busy. Hey, uh, so we uh, so if there's a, a any movement on um, Rick Patino, you'll hear that here, of course, and we'll talk NASCAR next week as well. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Rod, thanks for your time and your insight. No problem, Chris. Thanks.